Good morning, and welcome to Emmanuel Lutheran Church on this, the third Sunday in Lent. We may have more folks than usual watching our little live stream here, so hello, Facebook fans. So, <laughs> um, welcome. I think Eric may have an announcement before we we go. Yeah. This afternoon at 2, uh, we're doing a recital here at church. If any of you all are interested, probably not much else going on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to be doing some uh, classical music, piano trio, violin, cello, little harp chord, little voice, maybe even some surprise accordion. Oh, uh, Anyway, it's 2 o'clock here at church if you want to come join us. Very good. Um, just a, a, a couple of very quick comments on uh, you know, what has been talked about quite a bit uh, with the coronavirus and things of that sort and taking our precautions here. We'll uh, forego uh, handshakes and things of that sort that the CDC and others uh, suggest against. And also, at least for the, at least for the time being, uh, when it comes to communion, um, uh, we will just, just be serving the, 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 end of the, the small cups. I almost said individual cups. Little story, my vicarage supervisor, whenever I would say um, individual cups, refer to the, the small cups there, he'd say, stop, there's nothing, there's nothing individual about the Lord's Supper. It's a communal meal. So they're smaller than the small cups, but they're not the, not the individual, in, uh, individual cups. And of course, we're all encouraged to exercise all those precautions, which are one of the ways we love our neighbor. Um, but I also say that that is about it, other than the prayer um, that you'll hear about the, the coronavirus in the service, which is on purpose, because I am sick of hearing about it. And there are other, as important as that is, uh, significant things that we'll concentrate on in this third Sunday in Lent. One quick thing, uh, Lutheran's, Lutheran, the Lutheran fight song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, was evidently written between the years 1527 and 29 by Martin Luther during the height of an outbreak of the bubonic plague in Wittenberg. Uh, when Luther wasn't writing hymns, he and his wife Katie were attending in their home um, to people who had succumbed to that extremely uh, deadly, deadly plague at the time he wrote of a God who is a mighty fortress. Perhaps no more comforting words at uh, a time when people are scared of things. So anyway, with that, I think everything's printed out for us in the bulletin. Um, save the hymns. Our opening hymn is number what is it? 648, Glorious Things You Are Spoken. Please stand to sing. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, Intervention. It's the name of a television show on A&E, I think. I'm not sure if it's still on, although I think it is. Um, Even if you have not seen the show, if you know what an intervention uh, refers to, you can probably guess the, the narrative arc of the show. Uh, always starts with uh, the, the tragic backstory of some individual whose life has become unmanageable, although they think it's manageable. Um, someone who is in the grips of usually an addiction of some sort, drugs or alcohol or, or gambling maybe. Once in a while, someone uh, suffering from an eating disorder, but always a person who refuses to face that, 
A person who refuses to have the conversation, the ugly conversation, about what's uh, going on in their life and making them almost uh, uh, circle the drain, so to say. Well, it's then that the intervention itself happens. A professional interventionist, usually a former recovering addict, along with family and friends, more or less ambush the individual. They've deliberately planned uh, a moment. They usually call it a birthday party or a social gathering to get the person there only to have the person show up and be slammed with this conversation, to be forced into having this ugly conversation, the one conversation they did not want to have, all sorts of angry and emotional venting, the person saying, I can't believe you tricked me, I can't believe we're, we're doing this, but through it all, the ugly truth will force out. Uh, at least in the episodes that make it to air, it's almost always the case that the person gives in. It's the idea is uh, uh, go to rehab or we're going to cut you off completely. And most often they do. And it's uh, generally a happy-ish ending. Well, that's intervention. Any, I think it's still on, on TV. Well, I bring that up today because I think what we have going on in our gospel lesson for this third Sunday in Lent from John chapter 4 Uh, This well-known story, the Samaritan woman at the well with Jesus, is something of an intervention. Uh, The the analogy doesn't work perfectly because the the family's not there. It's not the drugs and things like that. And we more or less have to infer the backstory. But the general contours fit. Uh, Jesus is the interventionist, the woman's the mark, and Jesus has deliberately, deliberately set this up to meet this woman. At least I think so. I should have read the the verse before our reading started where it says that Jesus, on his way from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, had to pass through Samaria, which you see is not technically true. Jews for centuries had come up with ways of deliberately not passing through Samaria because they didn't mix with Samaritans. There was an easier way to go east toward the Jordan River where it's nice and flat and lots of highways up to the north. So when it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria to get from one place to another, I read that as the Spirit's way of seeing, saying Jesus deliberately had to meet this woman, to have the one conversation with her that she really did not want to have. And the way I know that is because she's at the well at midday drawing water. Because all of the other women had been there earlier in the day, at the time of drawing water when it's nice and cool. They'd been there together as a community. It's nicer to come together for this this hard labor in the cool of the day as a community to chit-chat and things like that, support one another. It's fun to do that unless you are this woman who is sick and tired of all the chit-chat and conversation being about her. About her and the five, count them five, husbands she had had, and the fact that the one she had now was not her husband. I should say this too, perhaps as a, a little bit of an aside, that let's not be too quick uh, to, to assume that this woman is, is morally suspect or something like that. Maybe, but it could just as well be that she had a husband or two who had passed away. Maybe she was forced by financial circumstances to marry a third who was really kind of a jerk who divorced her because she brought home the wrong kind of ice cream from the grocery store, which was the kind of thing for which you could divorce a woman back in those days. Or maybe maybe she was morally suspect. The point is, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that it had gotten ugly for her. 
The point is that what Jesus is leading her into is the one conversation about the ugliest part of her life, the one she does not want to have and has been trying to avoid. And he's tricky. He's there at midday, not necessarily birthday party intervention tricky, but he's tricky. The little small talk about the water, which is actually big talk. Then wonderful, why don't you go call your husband? We can, we can talk more about this. I'd love to meet your other half. I have no husband. And then forced into the ugly truth that Jesus himself speaks. That's because you've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband at all. The ugly forced out. So what's your ugliest thing? What's the one thing that you would absolutely not want to have a conversation about this morning? This poor Samaritan woman, she gets hers right there in the pages of Holy Writ for people to read about for millennia. What if yours was splashed? What would most mortify you if splashed in the front pages of the, the Daily Progress tomorrow? Oh, oh, oh what, what, if, what if you were in the Bible? Sometimes people talk that way, don't they? Maybe they said, well, it would be so cool to maybe have lived back in, in those days, see those wonders of God, the, the outstretched arm of God delivering people in those stories in the Old Testament. Oh, to, to see that. Maybe if my story would have gotten woven in there with some of those other wonderful stories. And we say that I can get the sentiment, but we might want, might want to exercise a little caution there. When you realize that it seems to me that just about everybody except Jesus, <laughs> just about everybody who gets ink in Holy Scripture also gets about the ugliest thing they ever did <laughs> mentioned in Holy Scripture. Right from the, from the beginning, Adam, first guy. The Bible says Adam lived to be 930 years old. <laughs> That's a long time. I bet Adam did a lot of stuff. Maybe started some businesses. Um, Probably a good dad for the, you know, the, the Seth and the other, the other folks. Granddad, great granddad, great. I mean, how many did that go? Uh, maybe he got 37 PhDs in those 930 years. You know, lots of, lots of wonderful things. But the one thing we get in there was the first guy, but the apple, the fall. Abraham, Abraham, he's the friend of God, patriarch. Wonderful, wonderful things. And also, a guy who tried to pawn his poor wife off on another man twice. <laughs> Moses, Moses, the great prophet of God, sees God face to face, also killed a man. Aaron, first priest of God, blesser of Israel, spokesperson for the most high God, also golden calf maker, ugliest thing ever. We could go right down the list of the judges like Samson and Jephthah, almost uh, great deliverers of God's people, but some things almost too ugly even to mention. David, we're told the great king, a man after God's own heart, but also told uglyly, a man after another man's wife and after that man's life. See how it works? I <laughs> want to think twice before you say, man, wouldn't it be nice to have my name mentioned there in Holy Writ? Because it turns out the way the Bible rolls is that it also includes mentioning the ugliest thing you ever did. Which might be another way of saying that this story from John chapter 4, as beautiful as it is, is, is not all that different. I mean, the, the trickiness, the deliberateness, which kind of make it double good of the intervention. But in terms of revealing what it does about this woman, maybe not so odd. The facing up, the fessing up, the ugly truthing up, that's the undeniable mark 
of the Holy Spirit. That's why we do what we do every week here. You've known this. We do it all the time. I come in and say my little welcome, which is probably unnecessary. And we sing a song, and then we fall on our knees with the ugly truths. Even this Lenten season, we, uh, we, uh, we crank up the, the ugliness, at least in my mind. We use those words from an older liturgy. Uh, I, a poor, miserable sinner. Grating words, aren't they? I, I know of one person, at least I was told of her by another person, um, not this church, but another church. Of She said, my, my sister stopped coming to church because she did not want to say that she couldn't say those words. I said, I'm not miserable. <laughs> Poor, miserable. That's not me. I may, I might have tried to convince her to, to not be so quick to just quit it altogether. I could have given her a lesson in the evolution of language and explained to her how that miserable in our confession is more of a, a King James miserable than it is a 21st century miserable. I could have told her it comes from the Latin miserabilis, which means uh, in need of mercy, pity, desperate for compassion. Not necessarily poor, grumpy, and mean, although maybe she was poor, grumpy, and mean too. But I'm not sure that less than the evolution of language would work better. Better, I'd try this. I'd take, take this notion. I'd try to explain to her who it is, to whom it is she's saying those words. And I'd get that from our gospel lesson today. That woman, she's, she's trying to make this kind of small talk with Jesus, uh, probably to avoid the ugly talk. Go back and forth about the water. There is a lot of snarkiness in her language there. She probably comes by it honestly. She hasn't been talked too kindly, so she is not uh, a pro in talking kindly to others. And Jesus says to her, if you'd only known, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. If you'd only known, if you only knew the gift of God, you wouldn't be squirming around trying your darndest to avoid the ugly talk about the ugliest part of your life. If you only knew the gift of God, you would have let it all spill out. And what's the gift of God? Well, we could take you on a, on a ride through the, the Gospel of John, just, just John's Gospel alone about all the things which, which God gives how he gives his son for you, how he gives his spirit without measure, how he gives life and eternal life, how he gives the helper to be with you forever, how he gives otherworldly peace, how he gives his own glory. Right at the beginning in, in chapter 1, verse 12, it says God gives you the right to become his children. Holy cow, the things God gives. And he says to this woman, if you only knew about all those things that God gives, and the, the scariness of, of this intervention, the scariness of letting those ugly bits coming out, that wouldn't scare you at all. You'd let it flow. So that's probably what I'd say to that woman if I had the chance to. Say, oh, I don't want to say I'm a poor, miserable. I wouldn't lie to her. Jesus says he wants us to worship him in spirit and truth, which is the truth about ourselves. I wouldn't lie to her and tell her she's not poor, miserable, and maybe she's grumpy and angry too. But I'd say, look at the first words. Oh, almighty God, merciful Father. That you don't just confess those sins to anyone, you confess them to a merciful Father who gives you his glory and peace and his Son and his Spirit and living water. Which makes it a heck of a lot easier to confess those sins, so much easier. Makes you almost welcome the intervention, which is what you do every single week when you gather here and you fall on your knees with Jesus right next to you, deliberately by the way. As deliberately as Jesus met that woman at the well, as deliberately, so deliberately, he meets you here every week as you confess 
to an almighty God, a merciful Father, even the ugly. Just do one last thing at the end of that text. We didn't actually read the part of it. I probably should have read that too. It goes on, the story. This woman, after Jesus has told her these things, we're told that she goes back to her, the townspeople. The people who before she had been doing everything to avoid talking to about everything she's done because she's just tired of it. And she goes to him and says, I found the Messiah. He has told me everything I ever did. Now it doesn't say it explicitly. I'm pretty sure we're supposed to hear in there. He told me everything I ever did and it did not faze him one little bit. In fact, he wanted to drink with me. He wanted to talk with me. He knew it all. The ugliest told me it all. But it did not faze him one little bit. Uh, Friends of God, there's lots of stuff going on out in our world, in our lives right now. I know for a fact that for many of you, that aforementioned virus is fairly far down the list of worries, which is one of the reasons The sermon is not about it. So whatever it is, take great comfort in knowing that you have a merciful father who knows your ugliest and yet is not phased a bit. Enjoy the soul-soothing solace that Jesus has deliberately, even today, deliberately intervened in your life has not only died for you and and been raised up for you, ascended on high for you, he here today forgives all of that ugliness. That ascended on high, he holds you in all things, viruses and worries and griefs and sins, whatever it is you can think of. That he holds all of it in the mighty hands that will never let you go. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.